0: Our beloved chiropractic profession faces challenges like never before. These challenges come from not only outside the profession, but also from within. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Braille, and I've had the opportunity to see this profession as a practitioner, a teacher, an administrator, and a politician. In my over 40 years in chiropractic, I've just about seen it all. Join me on Rants for an honest and no-holds-barred discussion about all aspects of chiropractic practice, politics, education, and philosophy. We'll talk about subjects that most only want to whisper about. And we'll interview the leaders in our profession to get some straight-up answers. If you're looking for a politically correct chiropractic discussion, this is not the place. Welcome to ChiroRants. Rants. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rants. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Braille. And today I have a very special guest with me because I want to speak a little bit about the upper cervical spine and uh, kind of the neglect in chiropractic for that. So your speaker today, your guest today, he used to teach with me on the ICA's program, Chiropractic Without a Doubt. and, And I got to know him well for many years before that program at DE meetings, Dynamic Essentials. But we, we had a great time teaching chiropractic and the principles of chiropractic and the science of chiropractic on those programs. He has been 19 years as a teacher, a mentor, and what he is called by many other professionals, a wise old man. I don't know if, that, since we're close in age, that kind of means we're both older. I'm not 100% certain about that. At Total Solutions Programs, which I have been to, wonderful programs. He is a past president and a board chairman of the Michigan Chiropractic Council, He owned one of the largest health development chiropractic practices in the world at one point, founded Health Plus, a multidisciplinary health development practice in San Diego, California, founded and director of Elite Mastering Coaching Program, founder and speaker of Mastering Chiropractic with Certainty, what's known as MC2, Uh, an individual dear friend of mine, loved him to death. I want to welcome Dr. Steve Hoffman. Welcome, Dr. Steve. Thank you, Bobby.
1: I miss your voice.
0: great to be here today and thanks for inviting me. I'm glad you could make it. Uh, We're on the phone here halfway across the country, well not halfway, completely across the country. I'm in Atlanta, you're in the San Diego area so uh, welcome. You know for those who may not uh, know you or have heard of you, let's do a little history lesson first here uh, and start off with how did you get into chiropractic? How did you get into this thing?
1: Well first Bobby, I have to tell you, after forty years in the profession, if people haven't heard of me, uh, bad on me. Um, but nonetheless, um, how did I get into chiropractic? Long, long story.
0: We got time. Uh, but
1: the Reader's Digest version is: I was working on my PhD at Michigan State University. I was a geologist. I fell off a rock face with eighty pounds of rocks on my back tweaked my back I was the classic walking question mark Uh, my brother Bob was with you at New York Chiropractic College and he suggested a chiropractor I laughed and went to the Michigan State Infirmary where they filled me up with uh, all the right chemicals and a six week course in physical terrorism and at the end of that six week period of time Uh, I called Bob and said who did you recommend and um, he referred me to two chiropractors I did a drive-by one looked a little dumpy the other was a beautiful building so that's where I stopped and uh, that's where I met an old friend of both of ours uh, Dr. Tim Terry and uh, Tim was my field doctor helped me with the back problem but I was astounded when my breathing problems, chronic headaches, um, sinus problems, allergies—all this stuff—went away. And I never even told them. I never even told him I had those. So uh, I became curious. Tim uh, took me under his wing, and uh, a couple of years into my care, uh, Life College had been founded. And basically, talked me into going. I was in the 10th class at Life. And uh, that's the Reader's Digest version of how I got into chiropractic.
0: Now, you went back to Michigan after graduating Life. Um, tell us a little bit about that, your early days in practice. I know you had a tremendous practice. Share that with the listeners today. Sure.
1: Um, well, Tim tracked me through school offered me a job I couldn't refuse when I graduated. He was then uh, chairman of the uh, board of the Michigan Chiropractic Council and uh, the board of examiners. So I was delighted to take a position with Tim. And um, it it worked out great. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I took a different approach to being an associate. I was supposed to be there three days a week. I was there six days a week. Because three days a week, I practiced, and three days a week, I sat at the foot of the master to learn everything I possibly could about what I should and shouldn't do in practice. Uh, Opened an office uh, 30 miles away, and it was a rocket ride, Bobby. We went from uh, zero, literally zero, to uh, 300 visits a week, more or less, in the first year, Uh, 400 the second year, 500 the third year, and... Uh, Unlike many, I didn't want to play the game called More. So um, 500 visits a week suited me just fine. It allowed me to not only have a lifestyle that I really enjoyed, but a life that gave me the time to enjoy it. So um, it was great. I loved practicing in Michigan. Uh, Ian Grossom. And all the boys in Michigan were uh, good friends, John Hoffman, Jim Gregg, uh, Tim, of course, Chuck Ripley, and, and Ian, uh, all took me under their wing and um, became, as you mentioned, a principal in the Michigan Chiropractic Council. And uh, uh, then in 1988, was on the road with Jim Sigafoos, which I loved. Uh, I think we spent 44 weekends that year together, and um, we had a seminar in San Diego one weekend and L.A. the next, and instead of doing the back and forth from Michigan, uh, we came out to California for 10 days, and it was in December, Bobby, so (laughs) after three days of 70s weather compared to frigid, ridiculous freezing in Michigan... Uh, My wife, Karen, looked at me and went, Oh, honey, i got to live here. (laughs) So uh, uh, I put my checkbook to my head and bought a house in Southern California (laughs) and um, moved into it in 95. So uh, that's why California after Michigan.
0: Well, as they say, happy wife, happy life. So uh, I followed the same thing, wound up uh, buying a ranch from a house on the beach. So that that's fine. I understand that. Um, You are regarded as, uh, I guess, one of the masters in upper cervical. Um, How did you get into specific upper cervical work? I mean, uh, where did you get that? And where did you get your mastery in that upper cervical work?
1: Well, mastery is something that I think people choose, okay? Uh, A lot of people think that it's uh, hard work, um, training, interest, reading, blah, 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 and it is all of that, but I think mastery is something that we choose rather than uh, go with the default mode of being uncertain. But to answer your question, when I went to Life College, uh, Bob suggested that I learn how to toggle. So he showed me the exercises that I still teach today. And in fourth quarter, uh, by fourth quarter, I had read volume 18, the subluxation specific, the adjustment specific. We had toggle class with uh, Dr. Hitchcock. And uh, it's actually a funny story, Bobby, because uh, Hubert, Dr. Hitchcock, rants and raves the first day of this class about upper cervical and about this is life college and by god if you don't learn anything at life college you're going to learn how to adjust and if you don't adjust anything you're going to learn how to adjust atlas and you're going to do it bj style and blah 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 and he ranted for a good 30 minutes about that and then he had my classmates and i line up in front of a toggle table and he wanted to see everyone hit the headpiece so everyone hit the headpiece, but Bobby, I've been practicing this for a year, so I went up there and rattled off the best toggle I could, and at the end of the class, Hubert looks at me and goes, where'd you learn that, boy? <laughs> so, uh, uh I, I explained, and he said, you know how to do an L.A., boy? And I go, uh, you know, city on the left coast? I don't know. And he walks me over to the toggle table, lays it left side up, puts his finger on his transverse, so C1, introduces me to my pisiform, and says, now, do to me what you just did to that headpiece. <laughs> so <laughs> I do. <laughs> and were you, you, gets off the table, checks it out, and says, you're starting clinic this quarter, boy. I go, yes, sir. He goes, I believe I'll be your first patient. Now, me. Hubert was clinic director also. And, you know, you would think that this is wonderful. I don't know. I was planning on faking it for at least a year. And now the clinic director is my first patient.
0: Great start. Lo and behold, and I don't know if you remember this from the early days.
1: We're talking 40 years ago, practically. Sid had just come out with life upper cervical technique, which was, a x-ray analysis, meaning you got a three-dimensional vector of two-dimensional films, which I still kind of have issues with, and a Pettibon-like instrument on a special table. And even though we did all the classic uh, chiropractic and upper cervical assessments with Dr. Hitchcock, his adjustment ultimately was on the, the table that Sid built, uh, using life upper cervical, had nothing to do with my ability to toggle. And long story short, Hitchcock didn't need another adjustment for six weeks. Wow. So finally, he needs another adjustment, and I go, hey, doc, let's get some new x-rays. And being Socratic, Hubert looked at me and went, new x-rays? Why do you want new x-rays? So I pulled out my best doctor, stick. And I said, look, the body's a dynamic, constantly evolving, self-healing, self-regulating organism in tune with its environment and able to adapt in a timely and appropriate way. And your body must have done great things with your first adjustment. If I'm going to do as good for you this time as I did for you last time, I need new x-rays. Which, by the way, makes perfect logical sense. Okay. And Hubert looks at me and goes, do what you did last time. (laughs) And my brain exploded all over life college. Because, Bobby, as important as C1 is, not having contradictions is equally important. And we'll talk about C1 in a second, but the the contradiction that I've been facing, dealing with, and attempting to teach chiropractors about for 40 years is that there is a difference between our philosophy and the clinical application of that philosophy. The philosophy is the body is dynamic and constantly evolving, self-healing, self-regulating. And the number one soap note in the profession is salt, same as last time. And I think we have to figure out how the body has changed since last time so that we do different this time rather than the same as last time hoping for a different result next time. So that's part and parcel of uh, MC2, it's a tonal approach
0: to both full spine and the upper cervical area. Um, well, following up on that, you know, it, let me let me ask please, you about ahead. the importance of the upper cervical and then how you got to the MC2 approach.
1: Okay. Well, you know, in, in my mind, one of my mentors in the early days was also Michael Keff, and so, we got to learn a lot about why upper cervical, especially why BJ style, and uh, I got a tremendous amount of uh, understanding of the upper cervical area out of volume 18. So, why is it important? You have access to the brainstem. The brainstem is like tides in the ocean. You will have an excursion into the neural canal and away from uh, the neural canal, meaning the uh, upper cervical area twice every 24 hour period of time, which is one of the reasons why it's important to see people at approximately the same time of day when you see them. Um, you're dealing with blood flow uh, to the brain. You're dealing with dural attachments uh, at C2 and at occiput and at sphenoid. It's one of those critical areas where you can affect the dura both above and below. By dealing with a pivot point in between. So, uh, you know, we could spend uh, half a day talking about why upper cervical. It's how you know your position in space and time. Uh, You know, have you ever looked at pictures of people who are really out of their minds? The head tilts on these people are amazing. And um, so for me, upper cervical was where I ended the adjustment. However, and this is important, Bobby, I also filled in for a chiropractor in Michigan by the name of Bob Cripps. And he was a grostic guy. Uh, Palmer grad, I believe, 1960. uh, You you had to love him. He looked at C2 as an extremity. And um, (laughs) uh, he, he got sick. He asked me to help him out, fill in. And he said, Steve... I know you work from the bottom up. Here, we work from the top down. So what I want you to do is clear their neck, let them rest, and then recheck them. And if you find something else to do, God bless you. Do whatever you want, but clear the neck first. Bobby, if the listeners today get nothing else out of today's conversation, it's that. Clear the neck first no matter what technique you employ, I guarantee you, if you make sure the upper cervical area is out of the equation, meaning it needs to be adjusted and you adjust it, or it doesn't need to be adjusted and you leave it alone, I guarantee you, you will find fewer other things to deal with full spine. So, for me, it was all the scientific reasons about why C1, but then it became practical. A practical utilization of our philosophy. Because the time it took me to clear somebody in practice dropped dramatically. And I was at a time when I was stuck in my practice growth. And by pulling that speed bump out of my practice, my practice took off. So... Whether you do it for them, or you do it for you, or you do it for both, uh, I encourage everyone listening to learn how to clear the neck and clear it first.
0: Now, typically, typically I've noticed, uh, I mean, where I was taught, and I, like, like you mentioned, I went to school with your brother. We were always <clears throat> bottom up. You know, the atlas was the last thing you wanted right. to do. What was the revelation? Other than just the time factor, was there anything else you noticed with going to Atlas First?
1: Yeah. Well, in Dr. Cribb's practice, I'd clear the neck and let them rest and recheck them, and 10, 12, 15, sometimes 20 people in a row would need nothing else done. Light bulb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if I could get great results by doing as little as possible instead of as much as possible, I was all for it. In fact, what we teach in MC2 today is that it's not how much you do to them, it's how much you do for them. And we approach it from a physics standpoint, and I don't mean numerical physics, I mean the concept of critical point. Every system, Bobby, has at least one critical point. And a critical point in a system is the point where the least amount of energy in produces the most amount of energy out. Well... The the system that most people understand best is water. Water has two critical points. At 211 degrees, it's really freaking hot water. At 212 degrees, it becomes steam, and you can drive a locomotive with it. 33 degrees, really cold water. 32 degrees, you can build a house out of it. So those are the two critical points for water. And my brain said... Isn't that what technique should have ever always been about? What's the critical point in this individual at at this time that will allow me to do the least to them that will also be the most for them?
0: Okay. Does that help? Yep, it does. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in my practice, I mean, I am a, a big fan of uh, first adjustment, upper cervical, and nothing else that particular visit. Uh, I've also have interns in my office on a regular basis, uh, sometimes several at a time. and I notice a real de-emphasis of the upper cervicals out of uh, uh, specifically life at this point. But what I've also yeah. been able to show them is that, you know, adjusting the atlas with somebody who comes in with multiple seemingly unneck related issues, but toggle the atlas, and, I, and the miracle takes place. There's a, and I'm not saying this is a symptomatic treatment, but there is a huge symptomatic change. Somebody who couldn't walk can walk. Somebody who had amazing problems or daily migraines, they're gone after the first atlas adjustment. The miracles that we talk about, those wonderful testimonials, seem to take place when you move the atlas. Yet I see a de-emphasis in the educational process of moving the atlas. Have you noticed that, and and do you have an explanation or a way to go to help that situation?
1: Uh, Of course. And, uh, Bobby, I think it's based on a false belief, the same false belief that you and I came up with, that you finish with C1 if you're going to adjust C1. What was the rationale? The rationale was if you adjust anything after C1, you're going to throw C1 out of adjustment. Well, that's just dogma. That's nonsense. Is the innate of the body so stupid that if you adjust something after C1, it's going to throw everything out? So that's a dangerous piece of dogma, and the upper cervical people get it. By clearing from the top down, they could then decide what, if anything else, needs to be done. You had a substation. Me too. What did you notice when you clear their neck first? Their scans would clear from the bottom up, even though you adjusted them from the top down. What sure. about communicating with people? How come I have low back pain and you're adjusting my neck? And we'd explain, you know, the fire is never in the fire alarm box. My job isn't to find the fire alarm. My job is to find the fire. The real issue here, Bobby, is there's a belief in the profession that adjustments are benign. You know, you could adjust everything and somewhere along the line you'll adjust the one that needs to be adjusted. The problem with the upper cervical area, and to answer your question, that I think it's being de-emphasized, is it can be dangerous if it's not done right. It actually requires skill and study and practice and dexterity and training. And in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, torque is a critical piece of the equation. The upper cervical subluxation is a three-dimensional subluxation. It requires a three-dimensional force. So I think my answer is to go back to Bruce Lipton. You can't be safe and grow at the same time. The profession is attempting to be safe and then can't figure out why it's not growing. They're attempting to be safe and can't figure out why they're not getting results. They're attempting to be safe and wondering why they're relegated to uh, cricks, backaches, and strains. It's not about safety by avoiding. It's about safety by being an expert. And I would encourage your listeners to become experts in everything dealing with the spine and nervous system. I should say the nervous system and spine. Because the spine misaligns as a result of a nervous system insult. And we can get into that today about the difference between a subluxation and a vertebral subluxation, if you wish.
0: Well, give us the uh, cliff-noted version of that one, because I'm sure most people haven't even thought in that process.
1: Okay. So a vertebral subluxation is the classic way chiropractors have looked at things. There's a bone out of place. With regard to its neighbors above, below, or both, blah, 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 blah. And we move that bone in order to do what? Affect the nerve or remove nerve involvement, which then causes a change in tone, in muscle uh, tension throughout the system, which in turn affects the bone. The problem is, Bobby, that we don't sublotate that way. The bone doesn't go out of place by itself. The bone's not, not smart. It's part of the passive system of the body. Bones go out of place because muscles move them out of place, and they stay out of place because muscles hold them out of place. But muscles are stupid. Muscles don't know what to do unless they have a nervous system that tells them what to do. So when we encounter stress, and all of your listeners have heard this before, when we encounter stress, it's physical, chemical, emotional, environmental, or some combination of the above, that is interpreted first by the nervous system. And when it's beyond the nervous system's ability to adapt in a constructive way, it causes an alteration in muscle tone, which produces a derangement in the skeletal system, which then negatively impacts the nervous system when you get a downward spiral. So, the vertebral subluxation puts the bone out of place at the top of this chart. The subluxation puts the nervous system at the top of the chart. And so, MC2 is about affecting the nervous system first, which then causes a balance in the muscle system, which then allows the body to correct the structural issue which then affects the nervous system in a positive way. So we're dealing with the same subsystems, we're just choosing a different different entry point.
0: And I'm sure and by there's, the way I'm there's sure there's a lot of chiropractors finding the doctor bring the same pattern over and
1: over again? It's because it's, they're approaching it from a bone out of place model. The bone out of place is both cause of nervous system interference and an effect of nervous system interference.
0: You know, it's uh, most people don't even look at the models that way, and I'm sure they haven't even thought of it. Um, you teach that in the MC2 programs. Uh, tell us a little bit about about those programs. How did you get started with that and how people can get some information on that?
1: Well, it's a funny story, actually. Uh, I was at an early total solution program, and uh, I was doing my thing. There a, they had a room up there with tables in it, and I'm checking and toggling people. And uh, Dr. Gentempo is kind of watching me out of the corner of his eye and goes, Steve, would you mind checking me? And I go, I'd be honored. And uh, Pat lays down and I check him. I do my thing. I put him on the side, toggle his atlas. And he gets off the table and goes, how'd you do that? (laughs) I go, "Uh, good, right? And she goes, no, you don't understand. And Pat proceeds to tell me, that he goes to George Bannich, who's now passed, but uh, George was a uh, Blair upper cervical practitioner in New Jersey. And he says, I go to George Bannich, and I must have gone for uh, a week. He must have taken a dozen x-rays of my neck before he finally adjusted me, and you just looked at me for 10 seconds and gave me as good, if not better, an adjustment that I ever got from George. How the hell did you do that? So I explained my methodology of getting the listing, if you will. And uh, Pat says, you got to teach this. And it was no different, Bobby, 25 years ago. He said that upper cervical is a dying arm. You could save it. And I've been on the road ever since trying. So... Um, <laughs> You know, that's the story behind MC2. Now, MC2 has since evolved from a one-day upper cervical seminar to a full-day upper cervical and then full spine approach, and we've added a bunch of other uh, adjuncts, if you will, under the uh, MC2 umbrella, umbrella, like tonal pediatrics, uh, tonal senior care, uh, tonal nutrition, Approaching everything from a physiology-based standpoint rather than a you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this um, cookbook standpoint. So uh, MC2 has evolved into uh, a vehicle to help chiropractors accomplish as, as much as possible with as little effort as possible.
0: Now, if our listeners want some more information on that, how do they get in touch, with find out about that and get in touch with you?
1: Uh, The best way is chiropracticmastery.com. It's our current website. Uh, We've evolved a little bit from the original website that you put up for us, uh, good Lord, I don't know, 20 years ago.
0: Something like that. And
1: um, chiropracticmastery.com has... A tab for seminars our current seminar schedule is up there uh, they can certainly email me um, my personal email is stevehoffmandc at gmail.com uh, there's a chiropractic mastery page on facebook uh, there's a steve hoffman page on facebook you know I'm not hard to find Bobby
0: okay Well, you'd be surprised people have trouble finding anything, but uh, good. I have a couple of quick questions for you here as we're getting towards the end um, that I've asked a number of other people. Right now, we're in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 crisis thing. And, you know, there are chiropractors who are doing well. We had one of our busiest mornings this morning before I got on the phone with you. And then there are chiropractors who are scared out of their wits. What advice do you have for chiropractors listening now in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis?
1: All right, well, uh, I have coaching clients. I also have a coaching program called Mastery Coaching. And uh, I have coaching clients who have suffered. I have coaching clients who are at capacity and have stayed pretty much at capacity or returned to capacity really quickly uh, during this um, – I'm not going to use your term. I'm going to call it the uh, co. Covid 19 misinformation crisis okay because all the statistics and all the science out there uh, have this thing really blown so far out of proportion that it's ridiculous don't want to get into uh, the hopes and this and that and to answer your question what did we learn in school about setting up a practice that it was location 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 Well, it's not about location, location, location. It's about education, education, education. And if you have, and I know you have, based on what you've already told me and based on me knowing who you are, my clients who have educated and educated and educated their publics and their patients about the nervous system, how it relates to health, how the nervous system relates to to their immune system, what they've seen in the practice, Their practices uh, may have suffered a speed bump, but they're not suffering. And so uh, my advice, this is clearly not about health. It's about something else, and you can make your own determinations about what that something else is. My advice to chiropractors is to be authentic. Be you. Be real. Be a voice in the wilderness, which is what we've ever always been. And I encourage you to continue to deliver a message of hope. It's what put chiropractic on the map and it's what's kept chiropractic on the map for well over 100 years. Okay. If people see you as a vehicle to have them have hope rather than hopelessness, they will flock to you. And I know you're seeing that Um, as as things unfold in
0: Georgia. Absolutely, absolutely. One final question for you here. What's next for Steve Hoffman in chiropractic? (laughs)
1: Uh, It's a great question, Bobby. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, we're trying to grow our influence and brand in uh, the pediatric arena, senior, care arena, nutrition, implementation of the technique within the practice, uh, business development in a tonal model, but ultimately, Bobby, I think it comes to health development, and that's not just where I'm going in the future, but I think it's where the profession needs to be going in the years to come. Health development, the best I can explain it to you is this, and this is going to be a little bit of a give and take. And, Bobby, there's no right or wrong answer to the question, so play with me. What's the difference between a regular adjustment and a wellness adjustment?
0: Okay, I'm stumped on that one.
1: That's because there's no difference. (laughs) Right? Correct. Okay, so we call it wellness care because we reduce their schedule. So we want to see them less... Frequently, but over a longer period of time. That's not wellness. Wellness is evolutionary in its approach rather than repair, restore, uh, reiterate in its approach. Okay? So wellness in a chiropractic model, in my mind, is looking at not just the neural, dural, adjustment, which is what we address in MC2, but we're also looking at what are the lifestyle factors that cause the physical, chemical, uh, emotional, environmental stresses in that individual that produce the subluxation. So, Bob, again, play with me. The only thing you do for your own health is you get checked and adjusted on a regular basis, or do you do
0: other things? No, of course we do other things, yeah. Like what? Exercise, food, mental attitude, breathing.
1: Right? Do you drink tap water or purified water?
0: Oh no, purified water.
1: Okay. And do you take nutritional supplements or not?
0: Not if I'm trying to get all of the food in through a natural process, but I have, yes. Right, okay. So this is
1: health development, and you don't need me to create your health development program. All your practice members see you as the role model. Be the role model. Whatever you do to develop your health over the course of your life, create a program around it. So this is the water purification system I recommend. These are the one, two, three, four tops critical nutritional supplements that I think every adult or every adult male should take. These are the different exercise programs I've used over the course of my life, ranging from the least impactful, meaning yoga or stretching, to the most impactful, which could be uh, full contact football or running, for that matter. These are the things I do to relax my mind. These are the things I do. And put together a program. What we used to do even 40 years ago, Bobby, every time there was a re-exam, we would ask, where's your greatest stress at the moment? And we would have a list of strategies that I was or had employed to help deal with that particular type of stress. And I would simply ask, which of these do you think you can incorporate into your lifestyle, the atheist? And because they would pick, they were making the choice instead of me saying, well, you need to start a walking program. As opposed to them going, well, I could do a walking program. Great! How many days a week? How many minutes? Let's journal it. And when they get to journaling it, They're then self-accountable for doing it. And these are the vehicles that we use to uh, allow our practice members to see us not just, and this is critical, and I'm kind of glad we saved it for the end, not just as a vehicle to help them get over what they had and didn't want, but also as a vehicle to develop the level of health that they want but never had.
0: Well, basically, you are sharing the—I uh, won't call them secrets. I'll call it the information about what you do for wellness, for yourself, for enhancement, to make you better—and you're sharing it with your practice members. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information. He
1: say it
0: that way? Yeah, really. <laughs> it just seems like we make it too complex, don't we? <laughs> But uh, I, I want to thank always. you for being a part of this program. I want to thank you for your friendship over the years, your, your mentorship to me, uh, the information you share with me over the years. Um, I appreciate you to no end, and I want to thank you for being a pro- part of uh, Cairo Rants here today. Bobby, uh, I hope you
1: get that I'm not always the most appropriate person, and I make no apologies for that. But I have, do, and will always love you for who you are and for what you do. So thanks for inviting me. Thanks for doing what you do. And uh, God bless. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon.
0: All right. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Cairo Rants. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Subscribe for free and listen to insightful, truthful, and hard-hitting discussions with some of the biggest names in chiropractic. ChiroRants is sponsored in part by Now You Know Online and in-office educational services. Learn how to expand your educational outreach to your patients and your community at www.nowyouknow.net. The opinions of Cairo Rants are exclusively those of Dr. Braille and do not reflect the opinions of any associations, groups, institutions, or sponsors mentioned in these podcasts. This has been Cairo Rant.